Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railsdale, I'm your host today and we're recording on a quite a sunny autumnal afternoon, Monday afternoon here in Manchester. Actually Samuel, it's a morning isn't it? It's 11am as I start this podcast in, in incorrect fashion but I'm joined by, by my colleague today, Samuel Luckhurst. Plenty to talk about after Manchester United's 1-0 win against Burnley on Saturday night and Samuel was across at Turf Moor but before I ask Samuel how he is on this Monday morning <laughs> uh, we've got plenty of sections to get into three sections today we'll discuss the Burnley performance the good the bad and the ugly the Johnny Evans masterclass and we'll look ahead to Crystal Palace on Tuesday night in the Carabao Cup because the football's coming thick and fast at the moment so Samuel now that's uh, over and done with how are you my friend? I'm I'm not bad, thank you very much. It, it reminds me a bit of Ten Hag. Uh, your introduction there. He, he said to someone, "Be sharp, please," because they said morning, and it was in the afternoon at Carrington on Friday. So he he's also a stickler for uh, differentiating between the uh, the morning and the afternoon. He's a strict timekeeper, isn't he? I'm not sure I'm a strict, yes, but, uh, yes, indeed. You've, you've got to be when you're manager of Manchester United, of course. Anyway, Samuel, uh, a very gutsy performance at, at Turf Moor on Saturday night. I think it's fair to describe it as a really, really important win. Um, a disappointing few weeks at the club. Uh, defeat against Brighton by Munich. Uh, three de- defeats in a row, of course, in, in the end. And then to bounce back like that, look, it wasn't a vintage performance by any means. But they just needed to get the three points, didn't they? Uh, like I say, after a disappointing few weeks. As a colleague said in the press room afterwards, thank thank God they won that. And he's not a United fan, but he he wanted a, a quiet Sunday as as we all did, and and a quiet Monday as well. It, it has the makings of quite a serene week now, maybe a serene couple of weeks, given that they've got four home games. They've they've got to be aiming to win all of them. But as as far as Saturday went, any win would have sufficed. It wasn't about it wasn't the time for a statement win. It wasn't about um, you know playing. Carp Diem football or you know thrashing Burnley just as as long as they won that's all that mattered and and they did win and and there, it was there was a gutsy it was a gut it was a gutsy performance from United it, it wasn't one that is going to live long in the memory uh, if anything that the best performers were probably the away days the the atmosphere at the, in that end at Turf Moor was was terrific it had the makings of being a really good away day atmosphere what with it being. An evening kickoff. Uh, the cricket club, Burnley Cricket Club, um, is is conveniently located just behind that stand, so they had a nearby watering hole to enjoy themselves at prior to kickoff, and that was pretty full when when I got to the ground about three hours before kickoff, and the the players owed the match goers one in in the week at, in Munich, the, the majority of them stayed behind and applauded the United players for. A, a dignified defeat, I suppose you could say, and it was high time that the, the players delivered. And really, there's not a lot of you look at that Burnley team, and there's not a lot to be. To, to, it doesn't exactly strike the fear into you at all, and it's not the banana skin that it, it used to be under Sean Dyche as well for, for various different reasons. I mean, Burnley are a completely different side from then, and I think you know Burnley for a period it, it had replaced Stoke as the you know the the acid test or purportedly the acid test in in English football anyway of going there for an evening kickoff. But it did, in some ways, I think, play into United's hands that that Burnley are a, a football inside these days, and United made adjustments. That although there were three changes, there were three surprising recalls. I think it's fair to say, but 
the majority of them were, were well and truly vindicated and it was a, it was a wonderful winning goal as well you couldn't um, you know that 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 was just such a beautiful pass by Johnny Evans who, who I've I've always said he's he's always been a better footballer than defender and there's a reason why he was once entrusted at, at left back in a, in a cup final by by Sir Alex Ferguson he, he switched there I think in the 2009 League Cup final because he can although it's not common knowledge exactly he has got a decent left foot on him and it was an even better right footer from uh, from Fernandez for the winner. I think Burnley had around 65% possession uh, by the end of the game. Yeah, and I there, saw there was, that. There was even a spell, a start flashed up, you wouldn't have saw unless they had the uh, the Montes in the press box. Well, they had around 90% possession in the 80th minute, like across the last five minutes of, of that spell of the game. But for all the possession that they had, they didn't do much with it. And, and that was the key, wasn't it? Really, United kind of kept them at arm's length. They had a few shots from the edge of the box, uh, hit the post in the, at one point, which was a, a bit of a warning. But they never really looked like scoring, did they, Samuel? Um, and then look, Johnny Evans, we need to go into his performance a bit more because it was a masterclass, I think it's fair to say as well. Uh, is, it, is he Paolo Mardini these days, Samuel? Uh, Johnny Evans? I, 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 I don't know about that, but as I said, uh, when he was at United, his first spell, everybody knew he was a really good footballer, but he could get bullied by particularly physical um, strikers and he tended to have his best games against... The, the, the better strikers, strikers who wouldn't rely on their, their strength as much because they, they'd want to out-football a defender. And, and Evans was actually quite ideal to, to pit against them in that sense. You go back to Sir Alex Ferguson's final season, he started ahead of Nemanja Vidic uh, against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu when Madrid would have had... I mean, Ronaldo would certainly have been starting. I think it would have been possibly Benzema starting up front, maybe Higuain. They, they rotated quite a lot back then, but it was... That Madrid were champions at the time, but he was he was having a good good season at that point. But that wasn't the exception to the norm because that that often happened. He, he had a good, couple of good games against Didier Drogba as well. I know Drogba was very physical, but he was a tremendous footballer. And as I said, where Burnley are kind of like laden with with footballers now rather than um, you know target men or, or battering Byron runs, runs. Yeah. that that can that can play into a team like United given the team that United selected played to their advantage and what I liked about Evans was that it's been striking this season that when the chips have been down with United there hasn't been enough there haven't been enough conversations there's not been enough communication between the players Evans is is a proper grown up he's 35 and although he might be the fifth choice centre back he didn't act like it and that authority a lot of the players you could see they buzzed off it Reguilon did Lindelof did Casemiro and Dallow started uh, having a com- their own conflab after Lindelof and Anna and, and Evans had had one. In, 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 I think it was probably around the, the 75 minute mark. And really, United meet, need more characters like that. I'm not saying they need to be signing players who played in the last title winning squad. There aren't many left who are still playing anyway. Um, and you, you certainly don't want loads of 35 year olds in your squad either. But Although it was a gamble bringing him in, and it was somewhat enforced, I suppose, by by Martinez being injured and, and Varane clearly not being fully fit, it was well and truly vindicated. And then he, he, it will have been in the back of his mind that he he went to Turf Moor as a twenty one year old when Burnley won their first ever Premier League game fourteen years ago. He, he played there in a very very um, fortuitous goalless draw for United under Louis Van Gaal. So his presence, people would have seen that and thought, well, you know, his 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 something portentous and he did his absolute utmost to ensure he didn't suffer a similar embarrassment to 
what happened in in August 2009. He obviously had the disallowed goal, which he was unfortunate with because he, he got up brilliantly. It was just that Hoyland had rather carelessly, you know, positioned himself in, in a way that he clearly was interfering with with James Trafford's goalkeeping. But he still then, you know, wanted to take the ball, move over the halfway line. Beautiful passes, said very very precisely struck, and. Um, I you know I, I felt I felt really pleased for him as well in in the you know after the game there's a 35 year old saying it's possibly the best night of his life um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what Mrs Evans would have to say about that but that's just the, the, the how much he enjoyed it and it was the first time he'd ever had his name chanted by United supporters as well uh, having a standalone song that he's he's inherited uh, f- from Gary Neville so having you know al- although he's not. An ideal recruit and thirty-five-year-old you know, on a free one-year contract. This this was his moment in the sun, albeit in the darkness at Burnley. And uh, you you couldn't begrudge him that. You couldn't begrudge him at the end where he's conducting his on-pitch post-match interview and he's having his name chanted by United fans. You, you you can't really blame him for in that moment saying it was the the greatest night of his life. I mean, on a human level, to see him score that header, which was a brilliant header. And for it to be ruled off, for VAR to intervene, that was a bit gutting. And then for him to respond 20 minutes later to play that pass, it was a stunning goal, it really was. Finish from Fernandez was fitting for the move as well. It was a brilliant strike. Does Fernandez get enough credit, Samuel, in your opinion? I mean, you look at his time at the club, he's been here for over three years now, January 2020, and you're pulling your face. But I just mean, time and time again, in these big moments, he just tends to deliver. When the team need him most, he can produce a goal, he can produce an assist, he can unlock a back line. Um, and that goal was so important, really, in the context of the last few weeks, wasn't it? He's, he's won the Smack Busby Player of the Year award a, a couple of times, and, and the first time was after he, and yeah, some, he joined somehow in I think January. I, I still think he's, well, not amongst United fans, obviously, but I still think else, elsewhere, when you look at the midfielders in the Premier League, he's still a little bit underappreciated, I think, in the wider media. I, I think I think his... his uh, badgering and always interrogating of of referees probably rubs that doesn't people help up the case, wrong does way. Yeah, there, so. There's been the you know he, he's he's prone to feigning agony as well. So I think in that sense he's he's probably not banked that much goodwill um, among punters outside Manchester. Those of us who've dealt with him, he's um, he's he's probably the best talker in the squad, which which goes a long way. And his impact at United like, over the last ten years, he's been by far and away. The best signing they've made. That's that's not even up for debate. He he has been. He's if anything, he should be the prototype for for, for players United looking to recruit in the future as well. He's he's got the right mentality. Uh, he's he's inherited that the captaincy. His his impact on the team was immediate. And what I liked about him again at the weekend, I wrote about it last season, is the how often he affects games when he plays out of position. It happened so many times last season. He was playing on the right. I think the first time it was to accommodate Donny van der Beek, of all people, against Real Sociedad. He wins the header that goes to Ronaldo, that goes on to Garnacho, and United score against um, Sociedad for the winning goal. Um, I think the following week he was playing on the right against Villa. It was a match-winning performance. I think he got the winning goal in that one. Played very well. He got the winner against Villa, playing from the right later on in the season. Scored against Manchester City, playing from the right. There, there are other games as well. Um, I think maybe Leicester, Leicester at home springs to mind last season. But he must have played under Ten Hag, starting as a right-sided player in, in maybe close to a dozen games now. And in almost all of them, he has had an impact. I suppose Brighton, um, the, the defeat against Brighton was the exception. But 
I, I'm not necessarily sure that was his role on the day watching him. It, it was a diamond formation and McTominay seemed to be the one who was uh, tasked with minding the right of, 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 of that diamond shape. So I think from us, he, he does get credit. I mean, we've you know we've written positively about him already this season. He was the best player against Forrest and his, his impact in that game was profound. But he will, because he's the captain now as well, I think he's... I think he's an easy target um, for for certain punters, and there, there are times when the criticism is justified. Like I, I reflect in my um, piece on Saturday that his 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 brand of leadership was a lot more constructive than it has been in recent weeks. Like he was you know, just berating for Kundo Palistri in in Munich for a pretty minor uh, thing uh, against Brighton. There was a too much whinging. There are times when he does whinge too much as well. And of course, how he conducts himself is always going to, what, what the way that's going to, what's going to, con- to what's going to dictate how he conducts himself is the scoreline. At the weekend, the scoreline, United were never losing at any point against Burnley. So I think he was bound to be more uh, constructive with his leadership. But he, as I've said a number of times, he is a worthy captain Ten Hag made the right decision there in in the summer by stripping Maguire of the captaincy. Fernandez was the obvious choice as well. Um, I, I I don't for one minute think that Ten Hag has made the wrong decision there. I, I, th- I certainly yeah. think that he was the only choice. When, when, really, when Ten Hag, yeah, when Ten Hag first came in, there were definite reservations about not not taking the captaincy off Maguire because that probably should have happened then but certainly giving it to Fernandes at that time I don't think he was ready for it and there were signs in the Solskjaer and Rangnick season that showed that he wasn't ready for it his performance level wasn't good enough and when he was captain that, that leadership it wasn't there he, he needed to mature a little bit more and I think he did last season and he was captain for the vast majority of it and um, that does get overlooked I suppose so I, th- I think you have half a point certainly in terms of the the nationwide he's not a particularly popular player I mean you said yourself uh, was it Martin Dubravka having a catch-up picture with him on international duty and it not going down well with with Newcastle fans which is is quite petty but I suppose it's a it gives you an indication of what opposition fans think of Fernandez, and he does you know he has the odd derogatory chant aimed at him as well but he's very popular among United fans, and that's all that matters, really. And someone who is becoming yeah. increasingly popular, Samuel, is Sergio Reguilón. Uh, after his loan move from loan, Reguilón was, I mean, he's been a, probably a bright spark in the last few weeks, considering the poor performances. He's emerged with credit. We've discussed that on this podcast. Thought he was good again uh, at left-back. And Tenor came out after the game and said he was actually ill, but he requested to play. That's went down very well with supporters, as you can imagine. I mean, if that sort of commitment, that should be the minimum, really, shouldn't it? And to see that from a lone player is really encouraging. Um, but he's made a really good start, hasn't he, in the, in the last few games to his to his career at the club. And who knows? I mean, you look a bit beyond that. Could he be signed on a permanent deal? Because he seems like a very good, decent backup left back. I mean, that's a good question because they've got the uh, the, the the break clause for January um, in that they can just you know give him back to Tottenham uh, if 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 they've got Malassia fit and, and Shaw fit again. I certainly think he's a better left-back than Malassia. I don't think that's really even debatable. I know they're different profiles. Malassia's a little bit younger and Reguillon has got a decent body of experience having won the Europa League with Sevilla, playing under Mourinho at Tottenham. He, he didn't play a lot last season, but he did... He did play under Diego Simeone at Sevilla. He'd have been playing under Hulen Lopetegui. So it's quite a good 
it's quite a good CV to recruit someone in an in an emergency circumstances, which they were, uh, given that they had what a week left of the window open and um, they had to move quickly. And, and he wasn't their first choice either. I mean, I think I was I I, I was the first to wrote at the time that Regan was under consideration. But his wages were said to be maybe a bit of an issue for United. But in the end, they had to go for him because the, the Kukurea arrangement didn't work out for them. And really, his his attitude's been exemplary so far. He's, he's come into the team. Uh, it's, it's always going to go a long way when you're playing through the pain barrier or the, the unwell barrier. And um, it, it wasn't visible either that he was that he was struggling with 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 illness at Burnley. It was only towards the end where he cut, cut, yeah he went down to the turf and I think in those conditions he as well. He looked to it's, be holding his hamstring when he came off. Uh, well, that's what so the, we'll, uh, that's we'll what a friend said on comment. Yeah, yeah, that's what a friend said on. Uh, had talk, messaged me at the game. He said that um, they'd said that on commentary. So, if you're nice, say you hope that's not the case. I mean, if that is, that's pretty damning. Could on be Lindelof for left back staff again. Wonder, if that's the case. Well, you've you've got the op- option of of possibly Dallow switching to left back where he's played there, and, and Lindelof has played at right back. Yeah. However, you look at it, it's it's not ideal. It wouldn't be ideal playing Dallow and Reggion to be honest, because you want to give them a breather but at the moment they've got no choice they can't they can't start anyone else who's um who's who's senior and specialist in those positions you you're looking down to the to the junior teams you're looking at Sam Murray as as a possible left back coming in so it's not ideal but he's he's got a good engine on him i think we've always known that he's been a, a pretty good attack minded left back that he can supplement attacks um in, in, in very positive ways and that he's always going to be probing and, and proactive there. He's, he's clearly quite, you know, gettable defensively, but the weekend, the, the, the way Burnley played, they didn't really seem to exploit him at all. The, 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 the opportunities they had in the, in the first half, I suppose the cross for, for the header that Anana kept out did come from Reggie on side, but I'd take more umbrage at the fact that nobody was, was tracking. Uh, is it Am, Amdouni? Is, is that how you pronounce his name? I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, nobody was tracking him and that's been a problem for United already this season. So he's he's been a worthy signing so far and it, it will be interesting to see what they do because you, you ideally you don't want to have three left backs but this season shows that you, you probably do need uh, one extra in, in, in certain areas because of the amount of injuries United have had and a, a lot a lot's going to happen between now and, and the start of January that I'm sure will dictate United's decision making on on whether they keep Riggy on for, for the rest of the season or whether they give him back to Tottenham but the way it's going you'd, you'd be mad to let him go back to Spurs I thought Coley Osho was probably Burnley's best player actually on the wing um, and that was a bit bizarre though because Dallow picked up that early yellow card I think company actually moved them out to the right eventually in the first half so you'd think well, if Dallow had been booked you'd think Coley Osho would have stayed on him I, I, well, I thought that, uh, you know, when, when Dallow made that tackle, I thought, my God, this has set the tone for another poor Here evening for him. But after that, he was actually pretty steady. He, he could easily have had an assist for, for Hoyland early in the second half with a really good cross as well. He he was much more like the Dallow, in the second half in particular, he was much more like the Dallow of the first four months last season than he has been this calendar year. So it, it, it helps if, if United can have two consistent Fullbacks, not just starting, but obviously playing at a, a, a respectable level and level that um, that is demanded of them. But the workload on fullbacks these days, we all know, 
they have to go into midfield at times. Uh, the, the the running is incessant. They are pretty much the they are arguably the hard, hardest working players in the team, and managing that load when you've not got cover in either area, uh, that's that's not ideal for United to say the least. Although Dallo made us laugh after the game in his uh, interview with MUTV when he said, this is how we'll have to play for the rest of the season. But to be honest, Samuel, I think they're going to have to play a little bit better than that. It was a gutsy performance, don't get us wrong, and it was an important three points, but against better opposition, they're going to have to play better. Um, we'll leave that there for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. And I guess we'll discuss the team selection to begin this part, Samuel, because eyebrows were certainly raised on our desk when Scott McTominay uh, was picked to start in midfield, obviously alongside Casemiro and Hannibal Medry was uh, in the number 10 position as the attacking midfielder with Fernandes on the right. Um, McTominay was a, a bit of a risk, I guess, to start at Turf Moor. Tenog said before the game he wanted him to bring energy to the midfield, but... I guess Tenog hadn't saw that clip of uh, the, the referee outrunning McTominay uh, in the Bayern Munich game last week, did he clearly? Um, so what did you think of, of that call really? Because it ha- had the potential to backfire, but in the end of the day, the three points were won. So can any can anyone really criticise it or scrutinise it after the game? They, they had to win just to render that selection moot really, because I mean, Tenog was in danger of undermining himself with that that change bringing McTominay in because he was, he was probably lucky to make the bench after what he did in Munich or what he, he said he wanted do. to start Just... him against Arsenal interestingly enough I think I can't remember what game it was before it might have been before Bre- uh, Brighton actually and he said if, if he hadn't been yeah, injured McTominay would, have, would he started him against uh, Arsenal well that's I remember you saying that at the time and the, like just dropping it on me there it, it, it does it's strange because one last season certainly the second half it McTominay was only starting games in the league and the cup when Casemiro was suspended in the summer he was available for transfer I know the best coaches will always try and maximise the players they have but however you dress it up it's not ideal that McTominay is a player that Ten Hag does not want and this midfield revamp that's not really got going yet because of, of injuries to, to, to certain players and probably three of the players have come in when, when you look at United's roster there McTominay is probably going to be at the back of the queue you'd have Maynou ahead of him you'd have Amrabat ahead of him Casemiro of course Ericsson as well with Mount he, he'd be another although he his position might change now because Anthony's not not available but I just thought it was a really it was a really dicey move because it after the everyone saw the the clip of McTominay against Bayern Munich there were a couple in fact but the infamous one was when he lost the ball to Upamecano and he didn't even jog back he was ambling back and I don't know what was going through his mind at the time and when you bring a player in on the back of that and on the back of three defeats and when someone like John Walters is highlighting it on Twitter and saying how embarrassing it is and it typifies the mentality at United and nobody's quibbling with it either. You absolutely have to win the game. They did win the game. I'm not saying they won the game because of McTominay. I thought he was you know, ordinary at best. I thought he had a he had a dire first half. He was not as offensive in the second half. I think he was a lot more disciplined and he just did what he's he's you know the bare minimum in terms of you know remaining disciplined with his position um 
not using the ball as badly as he was using it in the first half. He he, he bucked his ideas up, really. He wasn't too adventurous. He wasn't too... Um, he, but he didn't exactly put himself about. And there are times when he does put himself about. I think there was one tackle he slid into where it, it was full blooded and he won it. And he thought, well, you, you needed to do that, especially after what happened in, in midfield. Do you think he was started because of that physicality, Samuel? I mean, you look at Burnley, they're a more cracked passing team these days in the company. But I remember sitting in the press box with you at Wolves and there was a corner. And when you look at United's team, they're not a very tall team, they're not a very physical side. And obviously McTominay, he's got a bit of stature about him. Do you think Tenog looked them and thought that's the reason for his selection against Burnley, who are typically a physical team? I think there, there will have been an element of that, but more so that he, he is a more robust and energetic midfielder than, than Christian Eriksen. It's probably the only thing he's got that Eriksen has It's hard not to be at the got. moment, isn't it? And yeah, exactly. I mean, United went to Burnley five years ago and, and Fellaini came into the team just to shield the back four and, and win these aerial balls that Mourinho knew United gonna were going to be bombarded with. And and that tactic did come off, but Burnley Burnley don't play that way. So it, it was def there was definitely an element of risk to it. And you can imagine what a lot of the fans who would have been clicking through the turnstiles or drinking in the cricket ground before the game would have been thinking when they saw McTominay's name on the team sheet and also Evans's name as well, because that wasn't exactly a selection that was going to instill confidence among supporters. You know, his his first start for United in was it three thousand odd days or what whatever it was since um since we, we March didn't mention it was his two hundredth appearance as well. We should have we should have said that actually in the first part, which was obviously a great milestone from personally. Yeah, you know, I mean, Spike Spike Lee said it best. You know, you can't you know movies are fake. You can't write scripts in sport and. Um, <laughs> That's that. That's the way it was for Johnny Evans on on Saturday night. You know the the, the way it all uh, developed and the, the the happy ending it had as well. Uh, it was you know it was a hell of a script. Uh, You're just, trying to see that's the ending. Ninety minutes. You're trying to cut well, him off already. If I think if, <laughs> if his season is, I I I would imagine he wouldn't wouldn't be happy if his season is peaked with a win at Burnley in September. But you you wouldn't begrudge him if if that was the way it was. He he will, irrespective of what happens this season, he will always have. That that Saturday night at, at Turf Moor, <laughs> and um, I, I just hope he got away from Burnley because when we were when me and Rich were driving out, uh, there were a couple of um, you know, staggering drunks uh, in the road, so it, it wasn't the place to to go out afterwards. I think and really um, s- celebrate a win. I think you'd want to get far away. Uh, it was especially with the roadworks as well. It was not um, the, the more than just. Uh, Cones as hazards in the well, road. Well, it, it's good to hear that your car actually left Turf more because listeners wouldn't have realised yes, after recording Rich the podcast it. on Friday, Rich's car was stuck in the car park, which is that's not a good Friday, is it? Really? No, that isn't. It really and isn't. I, I believe you were supposed to be going to the Wrexham game on the Saturday afternoon before going to Turf Moor. You missed that as well. So I think uh, it was. A, I think it was a sign though, given that Wrexham got thumped five nil at Stockport. <laughs> five nil, wasn't I it? Think his car breaking down was was maybe you know it was maybe just as well in the grand scheme of things. Stick that in your documentary. Uh, critics of Wrexham would say. Anyway, Samuel, back to United. Hannibal played as the number ten. Um, I thought a, a decent performance. He could have done better, of course. Uh, lost the ball on a few occasions, but uh, it was pretty energetic. He pressed really well. I think him and Hoyland link up really well in that regard because they've got that kind of energy and the, the, they've got that intent and purpose and they'll put in pressure on Burnley's centre-halves. So what, what was your verdict with Hannibal's performance? Because for me, it's great to see him in the team from the first whistle. We've been wanting a, a closer glance of him. He's been given this opportunity and it's now, it has the potential to be a, a real turning corner in it, as far as his United uh, career goes anyways. 
Yeah, he did decently, and I think he he was more impressive with his with his running and off the ball work than he was necessarily with the ball. But he did decently with the ball. I mean, his his performance was pretty much bookended by creating two shooting opportunities for Rashford. That 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 Rashford, you know, the, the first one was quite a good chance. I thought very early on as well. The second one, he was he was too selfish and should have shifted it to Casemiro. But it was a, it was a successful night for Mejbri. I mean, he, he completed 90 minutes for the first time for United. Um, he didn't get booked either, which I know that sounds like a, a minor victory, but given that he'd got booked in three of his four um, first-team appearances before then, and there have been questions about his temperament and whether, whether he's... I think he had 11 cards up. at Birmingham last season on loan. It was eleven. Exactly. Was so, so to you know show show that composure in a in a must win game as well after three defeats for the team, that goes a long way as well. So I think it do, it does feel like this could be his turning point now because he certainly he's certainly the second in line as far as the number ten position goes uh, to Fernandez as he should be. I think his his pre season form earned him that and and rightly so. He, he the pivotal one came against uh, Athletic Bilbao in, in in Dublin the final preseason game when he replaced Van der Beek who was who was woeful uh, at half time and he did really really well in the second half so um i, I think there's the, the, i mean there's so much to get behind with with Meshbury because he is committed because he is bustling he is a good footballer he does make things happen there's you know the, the commitment is unquestionable there and uh, even you know Although he was lucky that it was only a, a yellow card, not a red card, when he came on that time in, in the four 0 drub in Anfield, United fans loved to see someone come on who who actually cared and was affronted by the position they were in. And this was on a night that Paul Pogba cried off after five minutes because Liverpool scored early, and United need more characters like Mejbri, who's a twenty year old. He's 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 hungry to, to to succeed at the club. He's been at the club for four years now. So he's been overdue these opportunities, I would say. Uh, but he he did, as I said, he did decently at Turf Moor, and you hope for his sake more opportunities are forthcoming. I certainly think for the immediate future he'll be involved in uh, in, in the run up to the October internationals. He'll be in all four match day squads at the very least, um, provided he's he's fit. So that that has to be viewed as progress given that he was at Birmingham on loan last season and, and people at United were saying in the summer that there was a question mark over his future so he's he's made good strides already it's funny because you don't often well you don't ever really praise a player for getting a yellow card unless it's a professional foul a bit of dark art but Hannibal received quite a lot of praise didn't he after that Anfield game and I remember Brian Robson coming out and saying that he loved it he said, I know I shouldn't say it, but I love them getting that yellow card because he, at least he showed a bit of character on a, on a dreadful night, really. Yeah. Um, he, he was like Norman Whiteside, uh, maiming <laughs> and John Barnes all those years ago. If we look at Rashford then, Samuel, I was just checking how many uh, goals he'd scored after six games last season while you were chatting there. He'd scored three goals after six games. Um, he scored obviously once after six games this season but I mean his decision making is, is being very poor I think that stood out to a lot of fans and, and, and us as well when watching the games um, across the last few weeks it was the same again against Burnley on Saturday night um, a few times when he should have made a pass and he didn't or he, he chose to play a pass when he should have had a shot um, I think there was a moment when he was on the edge of the box and he, he could have got a shot away and he tried to play in Highland I think if a more confident Rashford would have maybe put that on the back of the net. So what was your verdict on, on Rashford's performance? Because it just doesn't seem to be going right at the moment, does it? Well, 
no, no would be the short answer, I suppose. Quite simply. Uh, I mean, with that early chance he had from Mejbri, that was a that was a really good chance, uh, and and he the, the, there was just no conviction on it. He, he didn't even really seem to look for any options in, in to his right either, and he has got Hoyland there and. It was, it was noticeable during the Brighton game that Hoyland, during a stoppage after Rashford hadn't passed the ball, he waved his arms in the air as if to say, look, I'm here, you can pass to me, I'm not without Veghorst, so I, I can do something with the ball. And it was, it was someone, it was one of the season ticket holders, they said that the problem with Rashford is that he's 25, but he still plays like an 18-year-old. I thought that was quite a good summary in that Aspects of his play you associate with someone, with with a teenager who's coming through, and you've got to iron out the kinks. When you're 25, you should be the finished article or close to the finished article. But his decision making at times now is is worse than it was under Louis Van Gaal, or worse than it was under Jose Mourinho. And he had a terrific season last season, but he started this season. I I, I wonder whether his confidence is a little bit dented by playing up front the first couple of games and not playing well. He then had a pretty good game or a decent game against Forest. He was involved in in all three goals. He, you know, his his impact was 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 significant. He won the penalty. It was a brilliant pass for the equaliser as well. Uh he he did superbly for the first goal that that day um for for Ericsson when he he got the cross in and he had that variety about his game last season where you didn't always know that he was going to cut inside, that he would actually use use his left foot. And he did it, I think, for... It might have been Connor Cody's own goal in the cup game against Everton in January. And, of course, he was in career-best form last season. At the moment, he is regressing. And it, I didn't think that... with I thought with the, the chanting for Garnacho's name in the second half, it was so brief and with such gusto that it, it was practically a command for can you bring him on and they're very good the way they get their message across united fans because it's subtle without outwardly you know outright dig, digging out a player or digging out a, a manager and oh, of course with, with Solskjaer they they did not turn on him until it just became too much to bear at Watford and it was the last time they saw him he was sacked the next morning but they very very rarely turn on their own players and they weren't turning on Rashford, but they clearly wanted Garnacho to come on. And if you're bringing Garnacho on, you're most probably taking him off for Rashford because they play in the same same position. So, I mean, Garnacho, I'd imagine, should could start against Palace in the cup game. I still think that Rashford, given that United beat Burnley, he'll start in the weekend game. But that undroppable status that he had for pretty much all of last season. You can't say that he has that now at the moment. Um, Why is it so simple? Are we just accepting that Rashford's just a hot and cold player? We've saw this, I mean, over the last few years, he'll have a fantastic season. Great in terms of goals and assists. And like you say, he looks undroppable, which he was last season. He was the best player, I'd say. And he comes into this campaign, he suddenly looks low on confidence. Things aren't just quite dropping for him. Is it a case of, look, it could just turn... On, on the click of a fingers really if, if he scores two goals in a game then he, he rises in confidence again he's back to the player he was is he just that kind of player I do I think now because I mean there was talk of him becoming a world class player that season but to be world class you have to be consistent and he just doesn't have that consistency does he? No he doesn't and he, he did he did last season but you can't I mean in terms of is a player world class you don't just um you don't just you know gain that status 
after a, a good month or two, you have to do it you know, season after season. It's it's not months, it's years. And Rashford has that potential. He can be a devastating attacker, as we've seen a number of times over the last seven years or so. But at the moment, it's it's just not... He's he's not at the races. And he's, his body language wasn't that negative at the weekend um, against Burnley. Again, the scoreline makes the difference. United are winning. When United are losing, his body language isn't... It's, it's, it's not been good. And that can... You know that that can spread, and certainly against Brighton, there were some murmurs of discontent from supporters. The way he reacts, I think there was an in, one moment in the second half where the ball was dropping, he was waiting for it to drop for him, and a Brighton player nipped in and got it. And there were sighs of exasperation from from a lot of supporters, and that's happened once or twice. So he he just at the moment he can't he can't get going. Certainly in the United shirt and. It's still it's still early enough in the season that you can say his his form is is a blip and he's just in a bit of a rut at the moment, but it doesn't take much for it to become a, a big concern. And we've we've seen with him in in recent years that you know it, it, when his confidence is dented, it takes a while. To, it can take a while to address that dent. Uh, he only got five goals a couple of seasons ago in what what he accepted was you know the worst season he ever had, and even the second half of the. 2021 season his, his performance level was was quite was, was quite poor but he had I mean, Ralph Rangnick was starting Fernandes and Pogba ahead of him do you remember that at the Etihad uh, yeah, against Manchester yeah. and, 6 starting two midfielders ahead of him and, and, and I suppose you know, some supporters will look at it and say he got a new contract in the summer he's got to he's got to back that up and you're, you're always going to get maybe a little bit more grief and criticism when something like that has happened where you've you've been rewarded for good form but if you if your um, form starts tailing off you as you as you said last week there've been suggestions that some of you know scapegoating him and certainly some online are, are definitely scapegoating him it's it's you know, extremely vindictive but he has played poorly this season there's there are no two ways about that and as i said he, you can't say at the moment that he's an undroppable player for united I mean, we've talked about Rashford's lack of running and his tracking back uh, the last few weeks. So then there's a not a surprise that Tenard comes out and says that he didn't want Ganacho on because he liked the organisation of the team. Was Rashford really contributing to it that much that uh, those comments are justified? Because I think, obviously, the fans, the one they wanted Ganacho to come on. I mean, the game was kind of screaming out for him. He could have stretched it and, and got him behind Burnley with his pace. But yeah, it was an unused substitution. And dare I say it, Samuel, has this got anything to do with his brother's social media activity? Um, we've saw that recently his brother's been sending liking the odd tweet or sending the odd uh, teasing tweet suggesting Ganacho should be playing more uh, is Tenar got a burner account on Twitter is he, he's seeing these tweets <laughs> like Guardiola's got a Twitter account has, so I wouldn't put it past Tenog. I don't think that has anything uh, to, to do with it to be honest uh, I mean I, I didn't think the game was necessarily crying out for Garnacho, but he's a popular player among the supporters and um, they, they've you know they they can see that Rashford's not playing well, and it, it wasn't a, a daft shout to say that Garnacho should come on for Rashford. But as Ten Hag said after the game, I think he quite liked the organisation that United had um, in in the second half, and and they did limit Burnley to hardly any chances. I mean, Jay Rodriguez was, was Rashford have done really contributing to that organisation? Sorry, Samuel, for interrupting, but was Rashford really? No, do you know I, I, I mean? didn't like. Think- I think if if you're winning and and the the opposition aren't getting much joy against you you're inclined to stick with the team and the Fair only enough, changes yeah. that Ten Hag made were, were both enforced. Evans 
you know was was tiring understandably and uh, Reguilon was was unwell he, he didn't make a, a proactive change i think if um i think if Reguilon was fine and, and Evans wasn't fatigued they probably would have gone oh sorry Amrabat came on as well didn't he um just just late on to shore things up but i don't think that if 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 Evans was fine and Reguilon was fine then there might have just been the one change all evening um so I think with you know managers have different challenges with with different players and different players come from different generations and that's the challenge. You've you've got Garnacho who has been on this extraordinary stratospheric rise since he since he joined United. Uh, the the twenty twenty two year he had was extraordinary. It was remarkable, and of course he gets a new contract and. He's here for the long term. He's nineteen. He's the poster boy. The fans love him. They they wanted him to be the number seven, and it was certainly under consideration. And if he's not starting, you know, with a kid like that, and I think his brother's something like fifteen. I mean, I yeah. to think what, what I tweeted, if what I would have tweeted if I was a fifteen year old on on Twitter. It was bad enough when I was twenty five or in my early twenties, uh, you know, on Twitter. What do you so mean you're still doing it now? Naivety and, and junior <laughs> you know, being junior, being being, you know, puerile or being immature, that that comes with the territory. And um Garnacho's been prone to the odd post on Instagram, which has been you know, you could have said it was somewhat cryptic or, or ambiguous, but I don't think there's been a, a massive cla- there's not it's not the point yet where there's a, a concerted clamour for him to come into the team but it, he he might have a or he should have a, a good opportunity against Palace in midweek because that would be one change I'd make I'd certainly bring Garnacho in for Rashford for the, the cup game I would like to see his pace for those last 10 minutes I think that was my point I mean Burnley were kind of pressing for a goal without well there was a lot of huff and puff without much penetration wasn't it really from Burnley but uh, for on the transition Garnacho would have been quite useful in those closing stages uh, but we'll come on to Crystal Palace in the next part Samuel uh, we'll leave it there for part two So Samuel, uh, the Carabao Cup defence starts on Tuesday night. How exciting. Uh, United are obviously the defending champions in the competition after last season's uh, trophy win against Newcastle at Wembley in February. And the start on it against Crystal Palace on, like I said, tomorrow night, so Tuesday night. Um, any changes for the game? You've just kind of suggested you bring in Ganacho. I would as well. And Mason Mount and Harry Maguire are back in training. So that's a positive as well. I, I mean, I'd quite like to see Probably Mason Mount on the right. Dare I say it again? Anthony Martial through the middle with, with Ganacho on the left. Uh, what would your team be for the visit of Palace tomorrow? Well, there's not a uh, there's not a press conference today, so I don't think United are going to be too transparent with with team news. Maybe they will in terms of Tenag um, speaking to the club website. That might have been heard by the time this has come out. But of course, with uh, with Reguilon, you you, I mean, even if he is fit. If Dallow's fit, it's you have to think quite long and hard about what you do with the fullbacks because there's no there's no senior uh, or, or specialist cover there. I think that if if you're going to make the most of Harry Maguire, you've you've got to play him in a game like this. Really, I mean, this is his. You know, this is really. Throwing, you said that was such excitement time. in your voice. I mean, if you're not use you're not using him in the Champions League games because they've got to get points on the board as soon as possible. Um, and and that could go down to the wire in terms of qualifying for the last sixteen. I think that 
their final group games against Bayern Munich as well. So that has the makings of a really big night at Old Trafford. Um, their away record isn't that good, so there's no guarantee they're going to win um, either of those games against Copenhagen and, and Galatasaray. Uh, so you're not going to be rotating Maguire into those games. The Premier League, you want to be playing your strongest or most committed team every week. Harry Maguire is not in United's strongest team. He's yeah, he's barely in there. Belly in their second team. They, you know, someone was saying last week when they had all these injuries or the absent players um, for the Bayern Munich game, there were twelve players, and you'd probably have Maguire as the twelfth man because they had enough defenders to to fill that that injured eleven. Uh, but but he has. I think this is the the time to to bring him in for a, for a start. And you know, the, 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 there's always pressure that comes with playing for United, but the pressure of a League Cup game is never going to be as intense as a Premier League game. I suppose the the interesting strategy with Ten Hag and, and rotation is that he doesn't rotate on mass very often. When he did against Sociedad last season, they lost at home, and that that defeat really cost them winning the group and triggered that that playoff against uh, Barcelona in the Europa League. I think he made eight changes for the League Cup quarterfinal, but that was against Charlton, who were in League One. Uh, Palace are currently a point behind United and of course Palace will make changes as well because that's what Premier League clubs do in the League Cup and, and the FA Cup but United because of the state of their squad they have got to protect certain players I mean Casa Ramiro I think he started all seven games this season you shouldn't be starting him in this game you put him on the bench possibly Varane you probably hold back for the weekend fair enough put Marshall in Mount needs to run out ahead of resuming Premier League duties Amrabat needs to needs to start because I think in time he'll probably come into the midfield with with Casemiro a, a midfield duo of Amrabat and Eriksen is you know has the makings of being quite balanced and, and productive and with the goalkeeper situation uh, he's he's got to have a look at Bayandir uh, a few times before the Africa Cup of Nations because there's a chance that Andre Onana will miss you know, a significant um, significant number of games if if he's in Cameroon's squad and and goes to that in the new year, so they've they've got to be quite a, quite a few changes. I think I, I don't think he's got much choice. I think it would be given the spate of injuries they've had this season. I think it would be extremely risky to limit the number of changes from the weekend. And and yet saying that, Samuel, I wouldn't be completely shocked if there were just a few changes. I mean, we know that he doesn't really have the word rotation in his dictionary, does he? And I cast my mind back to Nottingham Forest in the Carabao Cup, actually the second leg, when it made no sense to play Casemiro. Um, and he played Casemiro when, they, when the, the tie had already been won, essentially, really. Um, so, yeah, probably a few debuts, full debuts for Bay and Darren Amrabat. I think you're right in that. Um, but it's really important, isn't it, to, to get a cup run again? I mean, they made the final of the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup last season, fell short against Manchester City in the FA Cup, obviously. But I was watching the Arsenal-Tottenham game yesterday afternoon. I was just thinking these these teams are looking really good. And I think top four, it's going to be tough this year. You've got Liverpool looking arguably back to the best. You've got Manchester City at the top and then Arsenal and Tottenham uh, are going to be competing and going to be there or thereabouts. So a cup run, it's going to be important to kind of keep... Uh, morale levels high isn't it Samuel across this season well United have won one trophy in the last six years and that was the League Cup last season and it, it did matter you could you could tell on the day that um, it was it's not a trophy that United have traditionally cherished but they, they did that day and 
they they need more of those days and yeah, they got to the FA Cup final um they were pretty soundly beaten against city so that that you know that, that didn't, all, all that work of getting there um counts for nothing in the end but they the, the aim for this season the minimum objective this season has to be to have a better season than last season and that means there has to be a, a trophy win of of some sort and of course last season the league cup was seen as the earliest possible point to get a trophy on the plinth they did that and they tried to kick on from there and overall last season third place finish one league cup fa cup finalists uh, quarter finalists in, in the europa league uh, overall it was a, it was a successful season given the starting point the expectations have, have been raised a bit this season, albeit tempered in, in recent weeks because of uh, the, the results and the start that United have had. But the, there's always pressure at, at United and they've always got to be striving to, to be better than than they were last season. Otherwise, what's what's the point? So I don't think they'll be... Um, I don't think they'll be tossing this off anyway. I mean, two years ago when they... Uh, I think they coincidentally then they had back-to-back games in the league and the cup against West Ham and, and they did they they went out on a whimper in the third round against West Ham and they were at the time it didn't feel like it was that that important a defeat because they had bigger fish to fry but then at the weekend they lost at home to Aston Villa and then that was the time when it hadn't started spiralling but there were certainly signs that things were not going to go well for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that season in retrospect um, Eric Ten Hag is nowhere near um, yeah, the, the thin ice that Solskjaer was on in, in September and October of, of 2021 and, and rightly so and it's reassuring for United that they've got a manager who will not allow the players to, to ride roughshod over him as well I mean going back to last week that the misgivings about certain decisions recently um, from, from certain players those players are very very much in the minority Samuel, I've just looked at the fixture list there before we, before we jump off. Crystal Palace in the Carabao Cup, obviously, and then in the Premier League, it's a double header this week. Galatasaray at home, Brentford at home, Sheffield United away, who have just been absolutely tonked, 8-0, and then Copenhagen at home, and it's Manchester City at home after that. But I mean, you've got, you've got six games there, which you look at them on paper, and United should be looking to win all them, shouldn't they really? And then if you can come through that period... It's, the season's looking completely different. The mood has changed, hasn't it? Absolutely. And that that has to be the minimum aim. Like, I, if, if anyone connected with United is saying, oh, you know, we'll take you know, three wins and a draw from this period wouldn't be too bad before the internationals. No, you've you've got to be aiming for, for four wins. You've, you've got to get points on the ball in the Champions League. You've got to stay in the League Cup and you've got to... Climb up the ladder in the Premier League table. There's there's a decent chance they'll they'll be in the top six going into the October internationals, which would be a much healthier position than they were um, after after the Brighton game, given that they were in the bottom half of the table. I think they're up to what is it eighth at the moment or, or, or something like that. Um, and they've they've got players coming back as well. Uh, you know, there, there are going to be option opportunities for Ten Hag to to trial some new things because those new things that come in might have to be long-term. I'm thinking Amrabat in midfield, Mount on the right, those two at the moment, you'd probably say they are in United's best starting side when everyone, when everyone's available. And they've got to, they've got to use the Burnley game as the, the cliched springboard. They won. It wasn't, it wasn't a stylish win by any stretch of the imagination, but 
they won and any win would have done at the weekend and now they've got to use that to to improve in in these upcoming games improve the the performances improve the playing style i mean palace and brentford are are good sides uh, i think that you know the cliche about that there are no easy games in the premier league it, it is by and large, quite true. Unless you're playing away at Sheffield United, as, as you followed the, the Twitter account that clips up the football cliches and adds them into a video because there's one, there's one that says that there's no easy games in the Premier League with an array of Premier League yeah, managers. I know. One I, by I've, one I've probably that. avoided all. I've probably avoided my whole life of saying that, and now I think it's it's, it's probably uh, to it's to an extent true. But fortunately, you, Sheffield United. Yeah, sure. Fortunately, Sheffield United <laughs> have. Um, of, of kind of like you know that the, they're the exception to the rule there, but Brentford and Palace yesteryear that would have been seen as yeah, they'd have been home bankers, but they're not anymore. They're they're two very well run, um, well organised, good Premier League sides who've got good players up top as well who can hurt United as United discovered against Brentford last season and and also Palace last season. Elise's uh, late free kick was a tremendous goal and Palace have won. Uh, Old Trafford a couple of times in recent years so uh, United certainly can't get complacent just because these teams uh, are outside the elite they're going to have to properly turn up for them I mean it's interesting the national conversation about kind of United start the season obviously very poor but then you look at Chelsea it kind of puts things in perspective doesn't it 14th in the Premier League 5 points 6 games in oh yeah Uh, they are are the basket club yeah it's, it's 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 I mean it's it's fantastic the way Chelsea run. They've they've spent a billion in a year and they still they still they still field teams on a weekly basis. And I'm looking at one or two players and I'm thinking, who the hell is that? And I've I've you know I'm not being insular. I just that they are starting players I've literally never heard of. And when you pay over a billion pounds for a completely new squad, you expect to have a team of players that are recognisable to, to the wider world. So that that, that helps United as well. Being Chelsea are this week's crisis club, that's for certain. So what you're saying is Todd Bawley is not an awesome owner. <laughs> I don't think so, no. <laughs> uh, thanks for your time, Samuel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks for listening as usual. Um, enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll be back, I believe, in midweek and with one later on Friday afternoon, head of playing Crystal Palace again. Uh, like I said, it's a double header of fixtures this week. So in the meantime, head across to the YouTube channel, uh, taken across nicely with the subscribers. And as usual, as I always say, we're on all your audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. all the leading platforms. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Take care.